Welcome to See You Later, the podcast where we unpack the good and the baggage that comes with growing up as a third culture kid. My name is Caroline Mason, and I am your host and a third culture kid. If the term third culture kid is unfamiliar to you, please refer to the first episode. Now, without further ado, this is See You Later. I'm so glad you're here. joined by one of my dear friends and all-around stellar human, Lydia Sundberg. Lydia, could you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, all about you. <laughs> yeah, like she said, my name is Lydia Sundberg. I'm a senior right now at a college in Southern California in San Diego called Point Loma Nazarene University. I study international relations um, and grew up my whole life in Eastern and Central Europe and just transitioned over to the United States when I had my first year of college. Do you identify as a third culture kid? Like, is that something you consider an integral part of you? Is that a term that you don't really use as much? What does that look like for you? It's definitely something that I would consider myself as. I don't necessarily like introduce myself when I'm in like social settings of like, yeah, I'm a third culture kid because not really, people don't really know what that is. But in my own, like, my own understanding of my identity and, like, as I've, you know, worked to unpack that and figure that out, this term third culture kid is really helpful in naming, like, some parts of myself that are unique to who I am and unique to the way that I grew up. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Could you share some of your story with us? I know you mentioned kind of a few of your homes, geographically speaking, but tell us a little bit more about those, about your upbringing, just whatever you want to share. Yeah, I grew up my first 10 years in Sofia, Bulgaria, which is pretty far Eastern Europe. Yeah, went to elementary school there. And when I was transitioning into the fifth grade, my family moved to Budapest, Hungary, which is a little bit more central Europe. Um, And my parents work as missionaries. And so in Bulgaria, I would say we did a lot of like church planting and traveling around to the different churches that my denomination has there and checking up on pastors. My parents also have a big role of traveling within the church. And so they would often take us and we'd hit the road together and um, travel to the different churches in our denomination around Eastern and Central Europe. And again, check on pastors and the life of the church. And so I think a lot of my growing up was centered around ministry and the church. And specifically, I think my parents had a really big emphasis on what it looks like to do life with people and to be integrated in people's lives, uh, especially those that maybe are less um, fortunate in certain areas of life. So in um, Sofia, Bulgaria, I think That was evident, but especially when we moved to Hungary and there was a big uh, refugee crisis that happened where a ton of Middle Eastern refugees came into Europe. My family was really kind of on the front lines of that and worked together as a family to meet the needs or try our best to meet the needs of the people there, whether it was food or water or shelter or uh, placement in a different town or connection to a church that would give them supplies. My parents were really adamant maybe on being the hands and feet of God in the context that we lived in. And sometimes that would receive a lot of backlash from 
certain communities that we lived among. But yeah, just honored to have parents that push that and recognize the value in that. When you reflect on like doing ministry kind of as a family unit, I know you said that you really, you know, respect your parents view on that but for you as an MK was that something that you were glad to be pulled into is that something that felt kind of burdensome I know for me with my family it felt very separate like the kids weren't technically part of the ministry it was more like oh my parents are the missionaries and then we're just the kids who are here but I know that you have a very different lived experience with that so I'm just curious like looking back on that how do you how do you feel about that or what was that like kind of being in your shoes then yeah I think that there are you know, good and shadow sides to most everything in the world as I'm like realizing and thinking more in in life. But I think that the good outweighs the shadow in this. And I'm thankful, I think in my own maybe walk of faith and how that's played out. When you look back, is that more of a positive thing or is that more of a like, wow, that was a lot. Like, does it feel kind of heavy now? I mean, obviously it's heavy work, but in terms of, you know, yeah, that that really shaped me and that was really good or like, wow, that kind of felt like a lot for a kid to be a part of. Yeah. I think when I look back, I hold the both in balance or I try to hold the both in balance. Yeah. Like, here's an example. I was just this weekend in a migrant camp in Tijuana, Mexico, doing some research with a cohort. And it was like with a lot of students here at my school that maybe hadn't been in situations like that. And when we got on the bus to go back, one of the girls was talking to her little group on the in the bus. And she was like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to process that experience. And in my head, I was like, gosh, like, why are you making not? I was like, gosh, why? Why do you think this is something you need to process? Like, have you never seen anything like this? Or do you not know that hard things happen in the world? And I think that comes out of a space of like, yeah, I've been seeing stuff like this, working in refugee camps and working among people that have had a really tough life. And I think that that sentiment came from a place of like, yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. And and as I was growing up as a child, there weren't really spaces of processing and that language of processing hard things that you see in life maybe wasn't as prevalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so... I'm very thankful for the ways that like my family encouraged me and like encouraged our family unit to be present among people in tough spaces. And I also recognize that perhaps there wasn't as much support as there should be for someone so young doing work like that. But I don't think that that piece of like not having enough support, I don't think that I hold great amounts of anger for that because I'm very thankful for the work that my family did and the ways that we were able to reach out to people and um, be present in spaces that were really tough spaces. That balance is really beautiful and we get told a lot as MKs like oh you're so resilient. I think the word like resilient or resilience is thrown around so much and I used to be really irritated by that but I'm realizing as an adult that it's like it is it's moments like those it's being in those tough spaces and coming to terms with that and that balance of you know there's heavy and it's good or like it's heavy and God is good or whatever the situation is there but um 
yeah. recognize. And it's like, those are the moments where that resilience is formed. And like, as an adult, that resilience is incredible. What we, what we've, you know, lived through as kids, like that's really, really remarkable. And yes, I think when we were younger is probably just kind of a label to slap on of like, oh, you're resilient, which might mean you don't need therapy. You know, you're resilient. You'll bounce back. Um, but truly, like there is a real deep resilience that is formed there that I think is a strength now. And a deep compassion and empathy for people. Yes. Of like, well, I think there there can be a hardness of heart maybe that yeah. yes. can happen after you've been in so many circumstances where you've seen people really hurting. But I think it's a constant call to self-reflection of like, and an ask from the divine or an ask from self of like, please don't let me harden over this. Like allow me to stay soft and allow me to continue with empathy with all people that I meet, realizing that they're on their own path and they have their own story and they have their own hardships. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's like a self-work that has to happen too. When you're in constant spaces of this, of working with people in crisis, like how do I remain soft to, how do I remain soft to the hurt that is, is happening in their lives? Yeah, for sure. I want to come back to that because I think that that staying soft is it's really well said for you. I know, I mean, you had very different communities in Bulgaria versus Hungary. What do you feel like just growing up in general in the different communities you were in? What were some of the more harmful narratives that were perpetuated or messages that were received, either explicit or implicit from growing up the way you did? Well, first of all, my family is maybe unique in the fact that my mom's ordained, which in our like little community that we grew up in together in high school, kind of sometimes created some ripples, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> and among parents and like things that were said to my mom and my family, like we were pretty harsh sometimes in like the language of like, oh, a woman shouldn't be doing that. A woman doesn't have the power to do that. God doesn't give women power to do that. Or that's not her stance and, or that's not where she should be. And so I had those narratives coming at me of like, in the in the way that your family is, like already there's something wrong with how that is. And then also when there was a refugee crisis and a lot of Middle Eastern refugees were um, coming into Europe, I remember so clearly like in a class that we had together, which I won't name any names, some pretty awful things and harsh things said towards those of an Islamic faith and towards refugees that were coming with an Islamic background. And, and so when my family stepped into that work and to hear at home that like, this is good work, this is work that like the divine or God calls us into, that love calls us into. And then to go to school and hear a different rhetoric of like, this is not good work. These people shouldn't be here. These people, we shouldn't be helping these people. Uh, it was like pretty intense to be in both worlds at the same time. And to try to make that decision myself as like a high schooler, like, gosh, what is what is the correct thing to do? What is spiritually correct? What is just like right to do as a human? And to weigh that, those like two heavy things was really tough, I think, as as a high schooler. And to choose one, I chose, of course, to be with my family and to interact with refugees in a way that I thought was loving and then to go to school after making that choice and hear some pretty harsh backlash from a teacher and even from some families at school was tough. And, you know, as a, when you're in high school, you don't really have all of the, the arguments and the words to say, but you have a nudging and you have a, a feeling that um, 
what you're doing is right and um, what you're doing is the way of love. And so I'm thankful for that intuition of, of my high school self. But um, that narrative of, of hostility towards people that claim a different religion was something that was prevalent when I was in high school. And that that language of, yeah, that like your family is not interacting with the divine in the correct way or like your mom is not is in a place that she shouldn't be was also like really prevalent and growing up with three sisters so a family of four girls my mom and then my mom and my dad to hear those like maybe more sentiments about females and their and their place in the world it was kind of exhausting and then to come home and and to chat about it with sisters was kind of a space where we could like almost processed together and we would laugh a lot. We'd make a lot of jokes that I'm sure were inappropriate, but (laughs) somehow that sometimes that's how you get through it when you have safe people around you. So yeah, I think some of those like narratives that I was hearing, especially in my second home in in Hungary and my school that I went to, my school was a very, it was a Christian school and I am thankful for it in a lot of ways. And I hold a lot of tension with it too. And um, I guess that's life. (laughs) Yeah, I have I've always loved your bravery in speaking up and speaking out against people who are who are speaking harm and hurt to others. And I re- I mean I remember moments in some of those classrooms where you were like, "Hey, what are you saying? Like what what do you mean?" But also, you know, moments where you looked really hurt or just wounded from what classmates and others were saying and I oh, I remember those days and I feel like I'm giving you a hug here. <laughs> and the, I mean, those conversations yeah. branch out far beyond like what I said. I mean, we had some pretty extreme talking or like conversations around sexuality, both in like yeah. who you claim in your identity, like who you love, but also in like sexual ethics of like, <laughs> yeah. And those things to process now and, and to be in new spaces of Christian conversation, it's been really healing to like start to analyze some of those conversations more and be like, okay, what do I hold as, as what is truth in these conversations? And where can I let go of some of this stuff that was said to me that maybe isn't necessary, you know? Yeah, for sure. So could you tell me a little bit about your transition to the U.S.? What was it like to leave that community and say, okay, I'm going to this other country that my passport says I'm from, but you know, that whole complex thing. Yeah. Tell me about that transition. Hmm. I'm a go all in kind of gal. And I don't really think in terms of emotions that much. I've realized (laughs) like truly, I think resiliency, like you said, is something that I am really great at. And so when I jumped into new life in America, I didn't, you know, it was, it was fine. I was like, that's what I would say. I was fine. You know? And I think I was, I think I did it really well. I also know now that when I look back, like, gosh, I didn't love my freshman year. Like it was tough and it was hard to make friends. It was hard to just like exist in a place. I live in Southern California now and there's pretty extreme wealth around me. Yeah, there's a, there's a big gap. There's like pretty extreme wealth and then there's pretty extreme poverty here. But I think in my maybe little bubble, I uh, am around more of the wealthy side of Southern California. And so to see that after living my whole life, um, working and maybe being embedded in communities that didn't get to experience that and might not ever experience that kind of wealth. I think that was a huge thing to process of like, wow, what does it mean that I'm here now and I am in a 
group of people that are totally different to how I grew up. And also, like, to be honest, like, don't always have the curiosity to ask questions of what it means to grow up like I did. But I think that these pieces of like, gosh, I really don't fit in here. I don't look like I'm from Southern California. I don't like the things Southern California is like. I hate the beach. I'm not a beach gal. And <laughs> I literally live right on the beach. Like it's on the you water. You have a sunset view from your room, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's on, on the water and we've got like a big surf culture here. And I, I don't like that. Like that's not what I like. And I actually only was able to like really claim that after I had a conversation with a guy from Sweden that goes to school here. And I was like, do you like the beach? And he looks at me, he's like, Lydia, we're from Europe. We don't like the beach. And I was like, <laughs> you're right. Like that, I didn't grow up around the beach. Like I, And it's foreign to me and I don't like it. And that's okay. And so, yeah, there's like a pretty big feeling of like, oh, I don't fit in here. It's hard to find friends because I don't share common interest. I have also had these crazy life experiences that I don't even know how to explain to you to get you to understand what I, you know, the life that I've lived. I don't even know how to start to tell you about it because there's almost like no language that we have in common to like talk about our experiences. Yes, it was tough. It was tough. But I am also like extremely thankful for the people here. And um, there are some that really helped that transition to be really beautiful and good. Yeah, I hold a lot of thankfulness for those that were patient with me and gave me space to process and, and ask me questions and kept on inviting me to things even when maybe I wasn't the most fun to be around. Yeah. So in these last few college years, I know you're also probably in the stage of like, oh my word, college is almost over. What, um, what has, what has healing looked like? What has your unlearning process looked like as we're talking about some of those harmful narratives or messages received? I guess, I mean, that's two questions already, but then also I would love to hear kind of how have you stayed soft? Like, are there any practices or rituals or kind of things that you've adopted to like avoid that numbness, that bitterness? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of my healing process has been naming the things that I learned in my home context and not necessarily like from my family members, though there are some things that are from like my own family that I'm, you know, processing too. But I think also the majority of things are from the communities that I lived in. Maybe even probably the most harm, it was from more of those spiritual communities and Christian communities. And so I think naming those things, first of all, and then I'm a firm believer that like, I can't do this healing alone and I need people with me to guide me and to ground me in that, to let me know that when I'm asking all of these questions, like I'm not going crazy, I'm just curious about life and I want more than just what I have been taught and I want to expand more. So there are mentors here um, at college that I have greatly leaned into and those are both peers and then people that hold authority over me here at school and um yeah a lot of a lot of that healing process has been to go to those trusted people and be like I need advice or maybe I don't need advice I just need someone to listen and it's been like just conversations and talking and asking big questions. Honestly, I think a lot of it has been asking big questions. And um, then I'm a huge believer in going on long walks. So I go on a lot of those and just take time to process like, what am I learning from these people? 
how does it tie into what I learned from from spaces at home? Do they go head to head or are they congruent with each other? And then ultimately, like after prayer or connection with the divine, the divine or with love, like start to claim some bits of truth for myself. And they can be different from what I learned at home or they can be the same, but start to land in some spaces. And I am a firm also believer of, you know, landing somewhere, but not sticking your feet in too strong because I think you're going to meet a whole bunch of different people in your life that God has placed there to have you learn from. And I hope that when those people are in my life, that I'm not too down in the mud that I can't like step out and meet them there and have a conversation and then move accordingly with them. So healing is a process and is still taking time. But I think it's started with naming that which I was told and that which I felt tension with at home and saying, yep, okay, we can name them and we can also hold them with open hands now and start to pick them apart and and piece different things together with the with the help of mentors both and I think that's a, that's another thing to name is I have mentors that are deep into the language and the life of Christianity and that's very beautiful and I have mentors that are in that camp and I also have mentors that are not and are finding their way of life that's grounded in other things and I am thankful for the balance of both and I I would say that's kind of been my process of healing, maybe some of it. I resonate with you. I know my freshman year before before I got back into therapy, which I did need the whole time, but you know, before mm-hmm. I got back into it, um, I took a lot of walks. That was like my my thing was just like I need to get out and move my legs and just like listen to music or sometimes not listen to music and just walk. That was hugely therapeutic. So reading this book and um on some of the greatest philosophers and often when we think of philosophers we we think of them just sitting with books and reading but they did this study and they like looked into the life of several philosophers and a lot of them were huge walkers like they just walked and inspiration from like the people around them and the things that they were seeing and i think as your body moves there's like a great tie to like movement of your body and the workings and the movements of the mind too and i think there's a beautiful connection there so big walker yeah, absolutely. Um, and then also just with the concept of asking big questions, I think in that space we were in, I feel like I should have started the episode by saying that we went to school together. That might have been, you know, unclear. <laughs> but yeah, I think it sometimes it felt like there wasn't the permission to ask questions, maybe from some people, but not in a general sense. And I, I remember a vivid moment my freshman year, too, where I had I was up till 2 a.m. in our campus coffee shop talking with friends and I walked back and I felt like I could breathe again. Like, and, and I'm in a relatively traditional space at my school, but still I was like, wow, there's people who, you know, are letting me ask these questions and actually doubt or just bring up these questions that I didn't know I could. And it was kind of like, whoa, I can exhale. <laughs> I felt like I'd been holding my breath and almost tiptoeing in one sense around certain yeah, topics. It's beautiful when you enter to a space where you can, because I think, yeah, in high school, we had huge questions when I think back. Like we were confused as hell. Like and we had big questions and especially in classrooms. And when this yeah. environment is not conducive to asking big questions, I think students grow really hostile and cold and that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. So I know you've shared kind of a lot about like the heartaches of growing up overseas, but do you have anything you look back and you're like, these are really these are the rewards or these are the joys 
I've experienced from being a TCK. Yeah. I think initially the first thing that jumps off in my head is like the amount of travel I've gotten to do mm-hmm. and experiencing of different cultures and different people is something that like you cannot take for granted because you learn I feel like you learn a lifetime of of information when you just are sitting with people that are different than you. And I think especially like my time spent with people from the Middle East, I will never take for granted because uh, I learned so many beautiful things about their religion and about hospitality and about love that truly I, I would never trade for anything. And so those moments of being a TCK that allow me to step into places that are entirely foreign to me are some of the most beautiful memories that I hold. It grew me to be extremely independent and I actually love that about myself. Like put me on a plane somewhere and I'll figure it out. And I love that. (laughs) And I think it also allowed me and encouraged me to think deeply about things, whether it was because it gave me space to think deeply. I mean, we're always waiting in airports or in cars, especially my family. And so there was a lot of, of thinking room. But also like a lot of, you know, experiences that pushed me into the depth of thought that I think has kind of lit the way for me in some ways. And so, yeah, I am incredibly thankful for being a third culture kid, though it has shadow sides. What advice would you give to younger TCKs, either maybe high school age or even a younger you, if you don't know, you know, what else you would say to others? I would say, first of all, like, document these things that are happening in your life. They're precious memories. Take all the pictures and spend time, like, writing and reflecting because my journals that I have are, like, probably the most precious things that I own. So that's, like, more of, like, a you should do this. But I think also lean into your community that you have around you. And when there's tension, like, when your body is telling you, like, the things that they are saying – don't line up with, I think especially like in Christian spaces, don't line up with a narrative of love. Push, like like push and and ask questions and don't be afraid. If, even if someone's a huge, claims to be this huge Bible scholar, like ask your question and be like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And yet something within me feels a lot of tension with that because I don't see how it aligns in this narrative of love. So I think that would be advice for myself to get like to give to myself when I was younger of keep pushing, keep asking. It's okay if like people in your community say weird things about you because you ask questions and maybe they don't even believe you're a real Christian all the time. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. Because you know what you know, and you believe what you believe. And um, if you keep pushing for more inclusive spaces, for spaces where love can continue to break through, then I think that that is... Um, if I'm speaking in Christian terms, that's the gospel, part of the gospel. So, yeah. And to wrap us up, what's your culture shock moment that you want to share oh, with us? so many. But I think, <laughs> let's think. I think one of them, when you're growing up overseas and you're like in a grocery store and you hear English being spoken, it's like a big deal. And you kind of like scan the store to, to see who's speaking and like who it is. And, and then you go and make a connection with them. And so when I got to America and everybody was speaking English around me, it was extremely overwhelming because I had to almost train my brain to be like, okay, you don't need to tap into all of the conversations, even though you understand every single thing being said around you. <laughs> and so I think that was just like a funny conversation to have with myself of like, okay, you can be in a social setting and be at peace and not have to eavesdrop into every single person's conversation. 
because you're no longer like a speak a minority language. And I know that I don't want to go and talk to all these people. <laughs> so you can just kind of chill out. And that was a funny experience to have of like, okay, I know that this is because I grew up somewhere else and speaking English in those places is extremely unique. And here it's not. And you would like think that cognitively, but then when you're in the space, you're like, oh, wait, shoot. You know, the body doesn't always follow suit. That was a funny moment. In some senses, it's funnier now because you can eavesdrop if you want to, <laughs> as opposed to like if there was a language barrier, maybe you wouldn't know what people were saying around you. Or, you know, it's one thing if you speak the language and then you're hearing Americans in a store, but maybe you don't speak the language and you have Hungarians around yeah. you. But now it's kind of hilarious. I'm like, oh, I could eavesdrop even if I you know, didn't want to, but sometimes you want to. And it's funny. <laughs> You're so right. Yeah. Maybe that's just a new thing. Just kidding. Maybe I just outed myself as being very nosy. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But thank you so much for sharing your story, Lydia, and for being here. I love you a lot and I really value your wisdom and just you've I mean, you've taught me so much. Your whole family has. Um so shout out to your mom. I feel like we should yeah, have said that earlier. She mom. is a phenomenal woman. <laughs> shout out she to mom. Like awesome um, woman. Yeah. Also your dad. My dad too. Cool, yeah, but especially like in this conversation, like yeah, my mom like yes. had to hear some pretty strong rhetoric around like how she lived and what yeah. she chose as her occupation, and I'm just thankful for her to be like ambassadly herself of like, yeah, I chose this, and I know that like this is good and this is right and this is who I'm called to be, even though people around me are saying like like are coming for my identity and so shout out to my mom you raised a lot of four <laughs> like pretty independent females too so and so Heck yeah so. yeah so do you have any any other thoughts anything else before we no i i think just to say thank you it's been a beautiful conversation and a great yeah great time to have together and i'm just proud of the ways that like we are able to hold our childhood and be like, yeah, that was beautiful. And that was also really hard. And now we're doing the good work mm -hmm. of processing and of, yeah, holding it in balance with the life that we live now. And so thank you for bringing me into this conversation. It's been, it's been a beautiful time. Yeah, of course. As always, see you later. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of See You Later. I hope this conversation reminded you of something you can now go unpack or made you feel less alone or maybe just made you laugh. It is an absolute joy to know the incredible humans featured on this podcast, and I hope you feel as honored as I do to be led into their stories. If you're interested, you can check out the show notes for any resources mentioned in the episode. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. And as always, see you later.